Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, let's get back into Proverbs chapter 24. If you're visiting this morning, uh, we uh, have been in a a lengthy study of the book of Proverbs, and uh, we have been going through it verse by verse, many times word by word. Uh, We know that the book of Proverbs really represents God's mind. It's probably the key book in the Bible uh, that all the other books come back to as far as their principles is concerned. And last week, we, we were in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 7, and, uh, <clears throat> and I laid out some great principles on what the Bible defines as a fool, and uh, why a fool can never get to the wisdom and the understanding of God. And, you know, after last week, I'm sure in a lot of people's mind, that answered a lot of questions for you, helps you better understand why uh, people sometimes just can't get to the truth of God. They just can't get it. And, and verse 7 said it was too high for them. They just couldn't get to it. And, uh, you know, it's out of his reach. Uh, the concept uh, will go right along with the New Testament principle that I'm sure you all know. It's found in Colossians 3, verse 2, that says, Set your affections on things above and not the things that is earth. Al- along with that, Matthew 6, verses 19, 20, and 21 talks about you know, lay not up for yourself treasure upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. For there where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's the reason why a fool can never get the knowledge of God. It's the real answer because the answer lies in a man or woman's treasure. Amen. Where their treasure is. It lies in, in what they love, where their heart's at, where their affection really is. You know, Bible says, if any man love God, the same is known of him. Real biblical love, or I guess any love, will always identify itself with the object. And you know, we live in a world, and certainly this is true in Christianity, because I see it and deal with it all the time, and have almost all my, my, some almost 50 years into the ministry, and that is that people talk and say the right things, but their actions never go along with what they say. You find people in churches today who, and I'm not even talking about the world, you'll find people in their churches today, they'll amen, praise the Lord, they'll, they'll talk about God and talk about the fact that they're saved, but their actions will never identify with the treasure that ought to be in their heart. Faithful and loyal to what you really love. You know, somebody said one time, and it's so true, words may paint a picture, and they do. But actions will be the frame by which that picture is in. And the the frame will either make that picture a modern masterpiece or just a cheap Polaroid. And and that's what so many of God's people do. They they say all the words, but their actions deny the love that they have and being faithful and loyal to, to, to what they really love. And then you remember I gave you two great verses that really in my own life were very instrumental years and years and years ago uh, of my own getting into the Bible. And of course, one was in Luke chapter 24, verse 45, where it says, then he opened up their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And I told you that it isn't about your education. It isn't about your Greek and your Hebrew. It isn't about how smart you think you are. It comes down to the very fact that if the Holy Spirit of God, through your treasure in him, doesn't open up your understanding, you ain't getting a squat from the Bible. 
then you're relegated to getting it off the internet, getting it from everybody else. And, I, and look, I read a lot of books. I, 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 I use the internet. I'll tell you what, if you want to, as I said the other night, if you want to learn how to hunt raccoons in the daytime, the internet's the way to do it. But I'm telling you, nothing will take the place of God in your life through your relationship with Him. Him being your treasure, opening up your understanding and showing you what the book says. And that's a great principle. And that changed my whole attitude, my whole mindset about the Bible and me. And then I showed you another great one in Luke chapter 10, verse 21, that talks about how that God hid His Word. He didn't allow the wise and the prudent and the, and the arrogant and the people who thought they were smarter than God and thought that they were smarter than you. He didn't, he, the Bible says he hid his word. And the Bible says he rejoiced over the fact that God did. Incredible. Now, these are the principles of why a fool can't get it. It's over his head. It's too high. It's the things that are above that go with last week in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9, that great passage where it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. You know, in our society, because we're so educated-minded, and I, there's nothing wrong with that in, in its balance, but we think that a fool is somebody who is uneducated. And that may be true because a lot of uneducated people are fools. But I want to tell you something. Some of the biggest fools I ever met in my life had a string of degrees behind their name. And you'll remember I showed you step by step eight areas that the Bible defines in the book of Proverbs as a fool. And today, uh, verses 8 and 9 is going to go along with that. And I want to show you the other side of it. So let's read, uh, let's read uh, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 7, 8, and 9, and here's what it says. I'm going to read 7 again to put it into context. Wisdom is too high for a fool. He openeth not his mouth in the gate. And that's the verse we talked about last week. Then we'll go on. He that devises to do evil shall be called a mischievous person. The thought of foolishness is sin, and the scorner is an abomination uh, uh, two men. Terry Joe, would you stand up and ask God's blessing on the service this morning for me, buddy? Thank you, buddy. Now, as I said last week, there's two reasons in the book of Proverbs that God details out a fool uh, with such great accuracy. One of them, first of all, and I told you this last week, and so you and I won't become one, that we'll see the fallacy of that, we'll see the dead-end street of that, we'll see that that winds up nowhere in your life. And the other reason is that once you identify what is foolish in the Bible, or I guess I should say what a fool is in the Bible, then you learn to stay away from them, because they will contaminate you through the association uh, of being a fool. Like the Bible says in Psalms 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of ungodly, standeth in the way of sinners, nor stood in the seat of the scornful. You start walking with them, you start standing with them, then you're sitting with them. And that's why he did that. He wants you and I to understand that, uh, that, that when you see someone that fits those eight characteristics, you stay away from them. It's just that simple. And uh, there's two key words uh, today in our text that I want to 
kind of look at. Uh, verse 8 says, uh, he, devises to, he that devises to do evil shall be a mischievous person. And verse 9 says, the thoughts of the foolishness uh, of the foolish is sin. And two words there. The fact that a man devises something, and he devises it through his thoughts. That's what a fool does. And, a, and a, over there in Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 12, when Israel was in its peak apostasy, you have a story there in that chapter how that Ezekiel uh, goes in and he goes into a dark room and there's all kinds of images portrayed on the wall, all things that are unclean and sinful in God's sight, things that are an abomination. And then the Lord says to him, what you're looking at is the imagination and the imagery of the leaders of the nation of Israel. And he was looking into what they were imagining. And uh, you know what? It's an old process. If you think about something long enough, you'll do it. And the imagination is based on the heart. And the heart controls where your imagination goes. And uh, the Bible says that uh, when a man devises evil through his thoughts, he becomes an abomination to man because everything he's going to do is not only going to destroy him, his family, the people around him, but anybody who is associated with him. Now, last week, I gave you the eight characteristics of a fool. And this week, I want to do the same with a wise man, because just as he defines what a fool is, he also defines what a wise man is. And this will give you a balance. Hopefully, it'll help you see where you're really at in your own relationship with God. And we already know from day one, and I've kept it before you all the way through our study, the book of Proverbs is about a fool and a wise man. Now, first off, let me just get this out of the way here. It's no coincidence that when you study the wise man in Proverbs, that there will be nine characteristics of him. Where we studied the fool, there was eight. But when you come to the wise man, there's nine. And that is because nine in your Bible will represent fruit-bearing. In Bible study, you have what is called uh, Bible numerology. And I understand. I get it. You can make numbers say anything. And I follow the rule in the Bible that I've told you many, many times when it comes to anything. I never overemphasize something more than God does. When God will repeatedly show you that a number popping up is consistent with something, then you follow it. But you don't say, well, I can't find this number, so I think this means this. That's not what you do. But there are certainly some numbers in the Bible where, uh, that, that mean some things. The number seven in the Bible is the number of perfection. God does everything in the Bible by sevens. You can't miss that. And so it's over and over and over again you'll find these things. Now let me just say, the scholarly world today will laugh at this. The scholarly world today will think this is so Arkansas, hillbilly, southern Missouri, Christianity. And my, yeah, amen, yeah, amen, amen. And my answer to that is, I thank God that God hid these things from you. That's my answer. Luke chapter 10, verse 21. So when you begin to get into the Bible, you will find uh, that uh, uh, the Bible is a number of fruit bearing. And, and accordingly, a wild child of God should bear fruit. I mean, it's just that simple. If you're a mom and a dad, you ought to bear the fruit of your children doing what the Bible says, loving God, serving God with you, and uh, that's the fruit that you bear. Then you bear fruit in your ministry, in this church. 
And then you bear fruit in your own personal life. But there's nowhere in the Bible where you find a child of God gets saved and is not supposed to bear fruit. And if you remember, that was the basic fundamental problem with the nation of Israel. Remember that? Uh, back there in Matthew chapter 21, verse 34, where he has that great part of that chapter on, on uh, God dealing with Israel and all that he'd done for them and how he hedged them about and, and protected them. And then it says, when the time of the fruit drew near. There was a time when Israel, as God's nation, was to bear fruit, and he didn't do it. And then the Bible says that he sent the prophets to them to say, where's the fruit that you promised God that God told you to do? And of course, they treated the prophets terribly. It led to the Lord Jesus Christ giving a great illustration in Mark chapter 11, verse 13, where he comes out and he sees a fig tree. And the fig tree is barren. There's no figs on it. Now that fig tree in the Bible, here again, will be always be a picture of the nation of Israel. And he's looking at this fig tree that should be bearing fruit, that has no fruit, and he curses that fig tree. That fig tree represents the nation of Israel that's not bearing any fruit. And it, it, it's, just that, it's just that simple, scores and scores and scores of time. And you'll find in Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 1 through 8, this is their problem. They will not bear fruit. So nine in your Bible, for you and for me, will be the number of fruit bearing. You know, also in the Bible, you'll find another law that we follow here. It's called the law of first mention. First time you find something in the Bible, it usually sets the pattern for what it's going to be through the rest of the Bible. And the first time you find the word fruitful showing up, it's Genesis chapter 9. And it says, and, and he was fruitful, multiplied, and replenished the earth. That's the first time you show it up. You can move a little on a little bit. In Genesis chapter 17, Abraham was promised to bring forth the fruit that was going to be uh, in the line of Christ. And you know what happens. He got messed up with Hagar, brought Ishmael in, got the wrong thing going. But after a period of time when he got right with God, he finally bears that fruit in Genesis chapter 17. And he's 99 years old. We talk about wanting to be fruitful. And yet the Bible tells us in the book of Galatians that there, here it comes, nine fruits of the Holy Spirit of God found in Galatians. You know Galatians just happens to be the ninth book in the New Testament? You know, you spell it, G-A-L-A-T-I-A-N-S, there's nine letters in it. You know that those nine fruits of the Holy Spirit of God are found in verse 22 and 23. Add up the twos and the threes, that's nine. You have in front of you a book that says, Holy Bible, nine letters. It says, King James, nine letters. It's a 1611, six and three is nine. If you want to bear fruit as a Christian, you get that book, that book will bear the fruit. And I hear the scholars going crazy now. But you know what? I thank God that he hid those things from you. You want to bear fruit? That's the book. So in the book of Proverbs, we will have nine distinct characteristics of a wise man that I want to walk you through this morning. I want to present the balance for you. And I'm telling you now, stay away from the fools because you know who they are. Hang out with the wise men. And you're going to know how to judge that here in just a moment. So let's look at them. 
Now, the first one here will be that a wise man will hear. And the verse for this will be in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5. It says, A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. Now, that's your verse for this one. Hearing what God says. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, that faith come by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It has always amazed me. It's been one of those things that, that you see in the ministry uh, that just, I mean, it's things like this that help you understand it. But it's always amazed me how God's people can be at church, go to church, they're at all the services, they sit through all the sermons, and yet they never hear what the guy's saying. At least it doesn't change them any. I was over at Quick Trip yesterday, went out to get a sandwich. By the way, Quick Trip has the best little... You're shaking your head no, my daughter, you're shaking your head no, and you're the one who puts down a blanket on an airline seat so you don't get your rear end dirty, and you're going to make fun of my sandwiches? Is that what we're going to do here? They have the best turkey croissant sandwich on the planet. I'm going to take you out for lunch. We're going to go there. I'll take you in the back and show you the, the monkeys that make them. That'll really make it good for you. So, you know, it was a nice day. They have the, oh, you're going to love this. They have the tables out there that you can sit on and eat your lunch. And before I did, I bought four bottles of alcohol and three rags and rubbed everything down. So I'm sitting there eating immediately. My little radar enters coming up. I saw all these Jehovah Witnesses coming in. They were out doing their work. And they stopped to get a chicken sandwich. So I'm sitting there eating, but I'm watching them. And, uh, and this young kid, he's probably 18 years old, nice-looking kid, really a nice-looking kid. He comes up there, and he says, how you doing, sir? And I said, I'm doing pretty good. He says, are you having a good day? And I said, yeah. He says, it's a beautiful day, isn't it? And I said, yeah, it really is. He says, well, that's really good. And before he can say anything else, I said, you're a Jehovah Witness, aren't you? He said, how'd you know? I said, I can spot you guys a mile away. I said, you ought to wear camouflage or something, you know? You ought to get your big Ohio State shirt, or better yet, a KU shirt. All MU guys are Jehovah Witnesses, I want you to know that. They don't wear any of that stuff. So, I, and then I said, he says, well, how, how did you really know that? And I said, because I used to be a Jehovah Witness. I studied with him, I told you last week, years ago, I studied with him for a long time. And uh, he said, how long, how long ago? I said, oh, it's been a long time ago. He says, are you still active? I said, oh, no. I said, I got out of that. And I said, and I, I advise you to get out of it too. And he says, well, why did you get out of it? I said, you know what bothered me? I said, I, I said, uh, I said, what bothered me was, I said, and I even went to the Watchtower in New York and asked them this, and nobody could answer me. And I said, what really bothered me was, is, you know, uh, you guys say that you're the only true church. You believe that you've got to be baptized in a, your church for salvation. You believe that all the other denominations are, are dying and going to hell, and you're the only true church. I said, but you know what? I could never find in history anybody who believed one thing that you believed before Rutherford and Russell showed up in 1840. He said, that's not true. Open the door. You're letting the steel trap mine. Can't guy's going to men going to gut you now. I said, great. Give me your name. 
Yeah, it got that quiet. This is where the verse in Revelation, there was silence in heaven the space of half an hour. <clears throat> I said, give me one. I said, great, give me one. I even put my sandwich down. I put a napkin down so it wouldn't be on that table. I said, give me one. He started, there are not, okay? He thought I was dumb. I wasn't dumb. I wasn't, I'm dumb, but I wasn't dumb as he is. And I, and I said, just give me one. He says, well, you know, Martin. I said, Martin Luther, he started the Lutheran church. And you know what? There wasn't anybody to believe what Martin Luther believed before he started it. He said, well, what about the Roman Catholic Church? They started in 400 with Constantine, and there wasn't anybody to believe that before they did. Now he's really panicking. I said, give me one. I said, I'll tell you what. I'll give you 10 that believe what I believe for every one you give me to believe what you believe. And he says, well, he says, what about, he tried to get the old thing. Well, what about, what about you believe in hell? And I said, I believe you're going to hell if you can't answer my question. <laughs> I said, just give me one. I said, is that, now you want to know why I got out? Here's why I got out. You're no smarter than your bosses there in New York. And you got into a situation where you couldn't prove your existence before two men started it in 1850, and you got almost 1,900 years of history that nobody believed what you believed. And you bought that. Well, the older guy comes over now. <laughs> and he says, what's going on? Whatever his name was. And he says, uh, he says come on, we got to go. And I said, oh, there you go. Your handler showed up. <laughs> he got you on a little leash. My sandwich is getting stale now because it's the air. I said, he's got you on a little leash. That's really good. Come on, talk to the man. Time to go. Time to go. I said, why don't you take him over there in one of the pumps and let him go to the bathroom? You treat him like a little dog. He says, you know what? He says, I don't want him talking to a person like you. And I say, yeah, you know what? Because when he hangs out with a person like you, he's going to wind up in a lake of fire. Then I wasn't hungry anymore. <laughs> Man. You know what their problem is? I'll tell you what the problem is. I'll tell you exactly what the problem is. They won't increase in learning. They won't hear. When you started to talk to that guy, like any call, you can watch their eyes and they just turn you off. And they're taught to do that. That's the way it goes. They don't, they don't hear what God says. But I got to tell you something. God's people are no different. Maybe you're going to heaven, but you don't listen any more than he did. You come here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and you're still doing your own thing. You haven't grown one inch in the last year. You haven't grown one inch in the last two years. And you've always got an excuse. Those excuses work for me because I don't really care. They'll work for your friends who probably care even less, but they will not work at the judgment seat of Christ. Getting God's wisdom, listen to me, getting God's wisdom and God's understanding should be our number one pursuit. And it will always represent understanding and wisdom, seeing the situation as it really is, not as it appears, so somebody can't snow you. You know, a bunch of Jehovah Witnesses are former Baptists. People think Jehovah Witnesses aren't going to heaven. I bet you a lot of them are going to heaven because they were in Baptist churches before they got into that cult and they got saved someplace along the line. They're just so 
got caught up in it because they didn't know what they were talking about because they went, like so many got people to church, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and into other churches on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I mean, it's that you live there. Never heard a thing. And Proverbs 4, 7 says that wisdom is the principal thing, therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. So the second characteristic, a wise man will inherit glory. Now our verse for this will be Proverbs 3, verse 30, uh, 35. The wise man inherits glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. Now, I told you the last couple of weeks, I told the kids at camp that we're an army. And in the army, you get promoted. And in, in, and in Christianity, you get promoted. You start out as a PFC, and then you get promoted up in, in the ranks. And there's seven promotions in the Bible. We talked about that, seven stages of spiritual growth. And, uh, and there are, in the Bible, though, but there are two promotions, one up and one down. Psalm 75, verse 6 and 7 says, for promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. He put it down one and set it up another. You notice how God put himself in a place of north? That's because if you wanted to go out and get a compass rating on where the third heaven is, where God is, it's north. He says in Psalm 48, the Mount Zion's on the sides of the north. He said in Job chapter 26, verse 7, that he stretches out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. Heaven's north. You know, the Salvation Army, before they all went to pieces, I used to like to get their magazine years ago, and when somebody died in their obituaries, they'd always say, promoted to glory. I thought that was a great thing. I thought that was a great thing. And you know, I want you to notice that he didn't say, you get demoted. A fool gets a promotion. A fool doesn't get demoted by God. And boy, there are great principles in that. You know why? That's because a fool has no understanding. And he actually thinks that the things that are going to destroy him in life, getting a bigger boat, getting a bigger house, getting this, getting that, getting all this stuff, getting all these things in life that he actually thinks is a promotion that he's getting higher. God just lets him think that. And God promotes him to shame based on his attitude of heart of what he thinks that promotion really is. Now, I'm not saying you can't have nice things. I have nice things. <laughs> These shoes are the nicest shoes that you'll ever have. I mean, those are nice shoes. Yours are nice. Yours are nice. You, would you put yours on, please? Yours are nice. <laughs> uh, there's nothing wrong with nice stuff. But you know why people just got to have possessions all around them all the time? They got to buy this new, they got to buy that new. They think that buying something new and really expensive actually makes them better. They think if they go out and, you know, uh, this guy was telling me that runs a fly shop up here in our building. He said a guy came in last week and bought a, uh, a $3,000 fly rod outfit. You believe that? <laughs> and he says, I don't know why I did. A guy can't, he, he can't do anything with it. And I know why he did. You know why he did? Because he actually thought that paying $3,000 for a fly rod would make him a better fisherman. And we think in the flesh that when we have all these things, that makes us a better person. I don't mind you having nice things. Just don't fall into the delusion it's going to make you a better person. 
It's not. There's only one thing that's going to make you better in everything you do. And it's that book right there and getting God's wisdom and God's understanding. Everything else is a waste of time. And that's what they do. You know, it's a, a, a fool has no understanding. He thinks that everything in life he gets that is, that is taking everything away from him or her at the judgment seat of Christ. They invest their life in all the things that they want to do. They buy, they deny themselves nothing because they think, look at me. Look how much money I make. Look, I'm up. I'm going up. I'm going up. I'm going up. God says, yeah, I'm promoting you, not up. I'm promoting you down. Look at the last part of that verse. But God is the judge. He put it down one and set it up another. Yes, he does. But the wise are promoted to glory. And their inheritance is to be as a joint heir of Jesus Christ in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Incredible. The third one. A wise man will receive commandments. Now the verse for this will be Proverbs chapter 10, verse 8. It says, the wise in heart will receive commandments, but a prating fool shall fall. Now in the Bible, commandments are defined as orders given with authority. In fact, in the book of Psalms, you'll find seven legal terms defined for you that puts the Bible together as God giving us, like ordinances, commandments. You'll find all those things defined for you, and there's seven of them. And they will form, uh, uh, the, the commandments of God will form the rudimentary structure of any society. If you would go to Washington, D.C., I know you don't see them anymore, nobody talks about them anymore, but in all of those public buildings, at the top of those buildings, you know what you'll find? You'll find a Bible verse. And it won't be out of an NIV or an RSV, it'll be out of a King James 1611 authorized version. You know what the big issue is now across this country? Taking the Ten Commandments out of the courthouses. You know why they were in the courthouses at first? Because those Ten Commandments form the structure of any society. When Jesus Christ came, he is told, we're told that he fulfilled the law. And when you got saved and he got in you and you got in him, you've got the structure for your Christian life. Just that simple. The Ten Commandments were given by the nation of Israel for their structure as a nation. They were given under God's authority to keep them in line with God. And I know, I know, I know, no one was ever expected to keep them. They show you how far you fall short of God's glory. I get it. But they form the perfect structure foundation for any working organization. And what did Israel do? Same thing that we do. She forsook them. We have what we call the law of the Bible. Most people think the law of the Ten Commandments was it is, but the law also is representative of the first five books of the Bible with Moses writes, especially Exodus on. They're called the law because once you got the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, it formed the structure for the rest of the books that he wrote, so it's called the law. Today, God's people, because they don't know anything about the Bible, don't know nothing about the God, they get it all messed up, and they think the, it was to ten suggestions. That's open as an option for you. Commandments have to come with an authority. And when they don't, when the Bible's gone, people don't respect them, they don't reject them, they get them out of the courthouses, they get them out of our government, and God's people get them out of their lives. And the Bible says a wise man will receive and keep them, but 10.8 says a fool will fall. And he'll fall because there's no structure in his life. 
It's, there's, no moral, there's no moral temperature. There's no, there's no right or wrong. There's no standard. There's nothing that, that gives him, keeps him on line and, and says, this is wrong. And we live in a time where we think that wrong is right and right is wrong. Fourth one. A wise man will win souls. And the verse for this one is Proverbs 11.30. It says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. At the foundational level of Christianity will lie one principle that is the reason that God saved you. There's only one reason God saved you. It wasn't because you're good looking. It wasn't because you had a lot to offer that God needed. God saw you and me in our misery and our godliness and our, in our filthiness. And God so loved the world, God made a way for you and me. And he has one thing he asked for you to do. He gave you salvation free, but he asked you to do one thing for him. And it's the one thing that God's people will not do. You know what it is? Just reproduce yourself in somebody else. So it says there, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Every child of God should be like a tree of life. And you know what the tree of life is? It bear 12 manners of fruit that they could eat off and get eternal life. You ought to be a tree of life that people can eat of the fruit that God has given you and they'll find eternal life. Winning people to Christ, soul winning. You know, we, we, we think that that means just sitting down and going through the Romans road with somebody. And it's more than that. It's getting to the point in your life or the point in the church that reproduces itself in others, you know, and, 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 and you reproduce yourself here. Uh, we reproduce ourselves in the people that God gives us. And the Bible says in John 15, 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. You have your ordination papers this morning if you're saved. Amen. And that ordination paper is right here. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. What part of that don't you get? Oh, I get it. You want to take God's salvation, but you want to send back your ordination papers. Thank God he doesn't require to send back your salvation with the papers. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. And that's where most churches stop, and then they put the emphasis on soul winning. But I want to tell you something. Read the rest of that verse, and that your fruit should remain. Isn't it enough just to win somebody to Christ and reproduce yourself? You have to stay with them and make sure they reproduce themselves in somebody else. Moms and dads with their kids. You and me in the ministry. You in your own personal relationship with the Lord, that God continually brings fruit into your life. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we get the idea that soul winning, like I said, is just sitting down and open up the Romans road. And it is. But it's more than that. You're reproducing yourself when you disciple somebody. You're reproducing yourself when you're investing your life in somebody else's life. You're reproducing yourself when you invite somebody out to church and they come and like it. You're reproducing yourself in somebody's life when they come in church and they don't like it. I think. <laughs> it's more than just winning somebody to Christ. It's the investment of your life that somebody puts you. Hey, you may not win the person to Christ, but God may give them to you to disciple. And when you bring them along, you know what you're doing? You're reproducing yourself in them. We get so 
tunnel vision because we make soul winning the number one thing. Oh, soul winning is the number one thing in Christianity. No, the number one thing in Christianity is truth. Once you got the truth, then you get God's wisdom and understanding. You see, there's a great parameter to soul winning. Sure, we win people to Christ. Sure, we get them saved. Sure, you sit down and, at camp and win all those kids to Christ. Sure, but that's just where it starts. Now, the reproduction begins. Most people want to win them to Christ and notch their spiritual pistol, but they don't want to invest the time to make sure they remain. Not here. You, I, I, I'm just going to say this, and I'll all say it once, and I won't say it again. I probably will, but it's my church. I can say what I want to say. <laughs> if you don't make it here, you'll never make it anywhere. Amen. If you can't make it here, you won't make it anywhere. There are so many people here that are willing to help you. There are so many people here that will take from their families, their time, their jobs. They will do whatever it takes. They won't make you fit their schedule. They'll fit whatever schedule you have. Amen. Amen. They will do whatever it needs to do. You know why? Because they are committed to reproducing themselves in you. Now, I don't take any credit for that because I can't teach that. That comes to back, I just pointed you to the right book. And when you got into the right book, you got fruitful. And then God worked out everything else, and here you are. Now you, you will win people to Christ, absolutely. I would be, uh, if somebody wanted to get saved today, I could just put them with about anybody here, and you, I know that you would do the job right. You'd ask the right questions, you'd do the right things, you'd put it right down the plate where it needed to be. But it's more than that. The fruit needs to remain. And you need to now take the investment of reproducing what you have that God has given you and somebody else. And I'm going to tell you right now, the reason why some of you don't, you've got nothing to invest. They're not interested in a six-pack of beer. They're not interested in the things of the world that you have. They, that's where they have been. They're looking now at a changed life that will give them what they have wanted all of their life, and now the door is wide open. Come on, you people who work with people, how easy is it to pour yourself into somebody with the doors open? All of you tell me, oh, I just finished with so-and-so, boy, it was a struggle. Well, I just, the third one I had, it bailed, it didn't do what's right. You know what, they went so far and then all the world creeps back in. I, I, and I've heard all of you say it. I just, I just, I just want to get somebody who just wants to learn the Bible. And God will give them to you. You all were that way. You're here. You're all zipper necks. No, we had to zip your head off and pour the information in it. You got it? You got it? Look at you go. I've never seen more committed people to winning souls and then investing in their growth. And I just got to tell you, soul winning is based on, on intimacy. When a couple gets married through the intimacy of that relationship, in time they will bear fruit. And when you become intimate with the Lord Jesus Christ through the spiritual way, in time, through that intimacy, you will bear fruit. 
You don't have to take a course on it. You don't have to, you don't have to do anything. It will come not because you went through a soul winning class. It will not come because you got John R. Rice's book on how to win a person to Christ. It'll come because you got an intimate relationship with Christ and in an intimate relationship, you just bear fruit. And the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winners souls is wise. Fifth thing. A wise man will hearken to counsel. The verse on this will be Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Now, I'm going to tell you what the number one issue we all have. And there's a bunch of them. But fundamentally, you know, you can take all of our problems, and I know we got all kinds of problems. I got problems today. You got problems today. We all got problems. But if you wanted to take whatever our problems are, if you want to come and dig it down to one reason why we got them, here it is. The number one issue is God's people is simply this. I want it my way, and I'm going to do it my way. And I don't care what the preacher says, God says, anybody says about it. Hey, and it gets better. Hold on, Will. I want a real good one here. <laughs> it gets better. When your world falls apart and all of those great plans just fold up like a broken accordion and it's just your world tumbles at your feet, then it's, oh, God, help me. Amen. 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 And then it even gets better yet. Once you get feeling better, you'll go right back to the world again. You know what? You're a fool. You're a fool. You won't hearken to counsel. Now, I like the word hearken. We don't use it much anymore. But hearken is an old English word that it's, it's an imperative it's imperative that you listen. So he says, hearken. When they, we sing the Christmas song, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. In other words, you better listen because the king is here. Hark the herald, what the angels are saying. It's an imperative world. Uh, and, you know, and it's a thing where it, it implies a consequence if you don't hearken. And it's not used today because in our world because we don't face any consequences today. Because we have no accountability for anything. We have no responsibility for anything. Everything is everybody else's fault. I lost my kids because of other bad Christian kids. How many times I've heard that over the years? Well, I lost my kids because of the bad influences that they got in their life. Yes, and the bad influences was mom and dad. There's no, there's, there's, no, there's no accountability. There's no responsibility. I, I don't care what you do. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what it is. As long as you're willing to take responsibility for it and to be accountable for it, the rest will take care of itself. And a, but, a, but, a, but, a, but a fool will never do that. He will not hearken to counsel. He sees what's right in his own eyes, and that's all he ever sees. He wants what he wants, when he wants it, how he wants it, and God never entered into it. 
And it all comes down to the selfishness about that person. They want it all for themselves. If there's anything left over, you would think they would give it to God, but they don't. They just put a little pile and eat it later. The sixth thing. Now, I got to tell you, this one's my favorite. A wise man will fear and depart from evil. And our verse for this is Proverbs 14, 16. A wise man feareth and departeth from evil, but the fool rages and is confident. Oh, this is a good one. Now that verse says, a wise man feareth and departeth from evil. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because a real wise man with understanding knows you can't ever get ahead of God. He understands Psalms 139. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsettings, my uprisings, understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is so wonderful for me, it is high. See that? Now I got to tell you, that's almost too high for me. Because I know me. I know me better than you do. And I know me. And I know who I am, and I know what I am, and I know all the struggles in my life. And yet the thing that amazes me that I can't get, why would God want anything to do with me? Amen. And the second question is, why would he want anything to do with you? Thus knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain unto it. A fool can't get there. Whether shall I go from thy spirit, or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, there's the rapture. Even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, there's death. There's missing a rapture and dying before it comes. Even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. <coughs> the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reign, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and it is my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. You see, a wise man knows what he is. And he knows who God is. And there's no profit for him to think that he can get ahead of God. Because he already knows that God knows what he's going to think. He already knows what God is going to, knows you're going to say. He's all, God, God got it way ahead of him, and you can't get ahead of God. He already knows that. He's confident in the fact that God will always know where he's really at. You see the example of that back in the garden, where God and Adam and Eve met together and had Bible studies together, you know, and then one day the devil came down and messed up the whole plan, and God, uh, uh, and God comes down and he's looking for them to have Bible study. Like God didn't know what happened. 
Like just as God left the heaven and came down to earth, one of the angels bust in the throne room and said, where'd God go? I got to tell him, the devil just got down there and messed up his plan. Where'd he go? Where's he at? We need to get a courier down there before he makes a fool out of himself. He doesn't know what's going on. Now. He thinks that they're going to have five. They're, they're with the devil, man. Somebody needs to tell him. You think he didn't know that? He's walking down there. Cool today. Beautiful garden. Not as beautiful as it was, but it, it's still beautiful. And he says, dumb God. Adam. Adam. Come out, come out, wherever you are. Where art thou, Adam? Adam, I thought we were going to have Bible study. Adam! Where's Adam? Adam, where are you? You think that's the way it went? God knew exactly where he was. God was like, God was like, I, I, I wasn't there, I don't know, but I like to think it was like this way. God was like a guy hunting quail out in early in the morning. Came down, got that old Remington 870. Had a couple angels ferreting through the thing to flush them out. Got sat in there saying, Adam, where are you? Oh, Adam heard that gun click. Adam, where are you, buddy? Heard the safety go off. <laughs> you know where Adam's at? He's over in the fig tree. He's been busy. He's now Adam the tailor. He's an expert in sewing fig leaves together. <laughs> Can you imagine where before... He just stepped out. They were naked as their birthday suits, you know, and no, no problem, no, no, no conscience, no. no it just here we are, yeah, yeah. And now he, God had to laugh. I mean, now he steps out with this ridiculous <laughs> Swedish knit fig suit on. <laughs> he walks out. What? What? A fig suit. <laughs> I've never eaten figs since I read that in the Bible. I mean, he walks out there. How stupid he had to look. And you know how stupid you'll look at the judgment seat of Christ when you show up naked and all the things that you bought to try to cover your nakedness with think it's going to do it? God knew exactly where he was, what bush he was. He just wanted to see if Adam knew where he was. So some guy, God will play stupid even though he's the most brilliant mind in the universe. And he'll ask you things just to see if you're going to be honest about it. And sometimes they'll ask him through a preacher. The fool, verse 16 says, the fool, he rages and is confident. You know what he's confident in? This is what makes him a fool. He's confident in the fact that he can beat God at his own game. He thinks he's smarter than God. He thinks if the, the room is dark and the smoke is thick and the music's loud, God can't see what goes on. He thinks while he's getting high, God's getting high, and God's blurry eyesight can't see him. 
The fool actually is confident in the fact that he is going to beat God and get ahead of God and he's going to be okay. He's arrogantly confident that he'll beat God and God's not looking. What a fool you are. Well, the seventh thing. A wise man seeks knowledge. The verse for this one will be Proverbs 18, 15. The heart of the prudent getteth knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeketh knowledge. The prudent to get knowledge of God is found, or uh, the pursuit, I should say, is found in uh, Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. We've given it before. We've preached on it several times. Six things there. You have to receive it. You have to hide it. You have to incline your ear. You have to apply it. You have to cry after it. And you have to seek it. And then he says in verse 5 of chapter 2, then once you do these six things, shall thou understand to fear the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Not the knowledge about God. Find the exact same knowledge that God has. This is called wisdom and understanding in the Bible that a fool can't get to. Now, the eighth thing. After a fool seeks knowledge, the eighth thing is a wise, man, a wise man seeks knowledge, then the eighth thing is a wise man dispenses knowledge. And this would be Proverbs 15, 7. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the foolish doth not sow. You see, once you get it yourself, then you give it to others. You give it to your family first. You make sure your sons and your daughters are online with the Bible so they don't get out in the world. You take care of that family first. And you give it to other people. You invest in the two things that are going to last for all of eternity and the only two things that God cares about because the only two things worth that you invest in your life in are going to be the only two things going to last for all eternity. One of them is the Word of God, the other is the souls of men. Everything else is nominal. And I watch you again. I watch you take them through discipleship one. I watch you bring them through discipleship two. I watch you in the people ministry. I watch how you gather it up in the institute. I watch you find the truth yourself and then can't wait to give it to somebody else. So many of God's people today, they get the truth that's right there in front of them, they throw it aside, and boy, they stack their world with everything that they want to do the way they want to do it. And God never comes into the equation. I watch you. The greatest, one of the greatest blessings of my life has been to watch what God has done in your lives. How he took you from where you were Brought you through the basic fundamentals of a church that just cares about making a difference in your life. Put the right people in your world that will never hurt you, that will never go against you, that will always be there for you. And I watch you find the truth yourself, and I watch you grow up, and then I watch you just give it to others. When I was at camp last week, the last message I preached was a message on the or not the last one, but before I finished out, was the judgment seat of Christ. And I told them in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, <coughs> verses 10 and 11, that the Bible says that no other foundation can a man lay, which is Jesus Christ. And I told them that when you got saved, you laid the foundation in your life. Then I also told them the rest of your life, you just build three things on that foundation. There's six things in 1 Corinthians 3. Three are good, three are bad. The ones that are good are gold, silver, precious stones. The ones that are bad are wood, hay, and stubble. And I went through the first three that are good, and I told them the first thing on the foundation you have to build is gold. 
Gold represents the deity of Christ in the Bible. So you've got to find out, first of all, on that foundation after you get saved, who God is. Discipleship one, discipleship two. Then the second thing you build on it is silver. Silver in the Bible is the price of redemption. You see, it's not enough to know who God is. You also got to know what God did for you. So you build silver. Now you get into discipleship. You got into uh, institute, into people ministry. You're growing. God starts working with you. You start doing some things with the people in this church who help you. And pretty soon you start to see the value of what Christ did for you. And you want to give it to somebody else. And so the third thing you build on it, precious stones. In the Bible, precious stones are people. But once you get saved and you lay that foundation, you spend the rest of your life building three things on it, what many of you are doing. You build on it gold. You get to know who he is. You build on it silver. You get to go what he did for you. And then precious stone people. You see, you can't get to know God. And you can't get to know what God did for you. Really. Without telling somebody else about it. The absolute purpose for every saved person on this earth is first and foremost reproducing yourself and others. Your family first and then the people that God brings into your life building on their foundation of salvation. Well, the ninth one. A wise man will guard his tongue. And the verse for this will be Proverbs 29, 11. A fool uttereth all his mind, but the wise man keepeth it till afterwards. I've seen this many, many times in a young Christian. It'll take him 30 seconds to tell you everything he knows about the Bible. When it comes to your tongue, what you talk about, what we talk about, what we speak about, the words that we use, we don't sometimes see it of uh, the absolute tremendous power that are in words. Words can either make somebody or destroy somebody. Teenage kids growing up, especially teenage girls, they're, they're, they're great at this. They'll play their little, they'll play their little games and they'll, they'll get their little groups together and they'll talk about this girl or that girl and where they should be helping that person, should be extending themselves to that person should be giving that person and making them better, they destroy them. How many times now have you heard in the news where some kid killed himself because of being bullied? Or just other girls. I remember a story I read about a girl that killed herself because a couple of other girls were emailing her or whatever they were doing, Facebooking her, texting her, whatever, and just destroyed her by what they said. And, and you know, and it's a thing where, you know, it, it happens. It happens with, with kids growing up. It's always one of the dangers at a camp. I really didn't say much about it, but uh, it's always something that you'll want to look out for. Like every camp I've ever been associated with, you get the little, little girls that are, and guys too, but girls more than guys who just want to ostracize somebody that doesn't fit in their little group. And instead of using that camp to help them, they use that camp to better themselves to, to hurt them. Adults do it too. I mean, it doesn't stop when you, you reach puberty. Whatever that is. It, it, it goes on in life. And if something doesn't change about us that we understand that once we got saved, our job, my job, your job as a Christian, simply one thing past reproducing, it's making people better than you found them. Making them better. I have to deal with a lot of 
stupid issues. I, I know. And I deal with a lot of problems that people get. I know. I know. And some of it's horrendous stuff. Some of it's goofy stuff. Some of it's just stupid stuff. I get it. I, I get it. Uh, you know, when it comes to God's people, sometimes you have stupid stuff, and then you have you have stupid, and then you have industrial stupid. <laughs> uh, and it's just it's sometimes it just it, it blows my mind. But I have learned, no matter what somebody does, no matter what mess they're in, if they want to do what's right and they're willing to dig themselves out of it, you don't help them by hurting them anymore. Somebody has to throw him a rope. Hey, there was a time in your life and my life, Psalm 40 says, he brought me up out of the miry clay, out of a horrible pit, and set my feet upon a rock. You know how you got there? He threw you a rope. Amen. We like the rope for us, but we won't throw it to somebody else. You never come to the place, no matter what you're dealing with, that you're not there to help that person to make them better. And the words that you use, and I know we joke around. I know, I, I, we do. We, here, anyhow, we have a lot of fun. We do say goofy things to everybody. We're goofy. We are. We're, if you're looking for our church, right at the resume, goofiness. We're goofy. We laugh. We have fun. We're, we, we don't have any, we, 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 we laugh at each other. We laugh at ourselves. You know, nobody takes it personal. I mean, my, my boys over here, you know, me and Will and, and Alex and Zach and all you other guys, over here, you know, you told my picture off the wall, I'm going to kill you. But, you know, but we, we laugh at each other. We, we don't take anything seriously. I mean, you know, it, the world is too uptight. It is. The world, the Christian world is too uptight. There are too many thin-skinned people. They can't laugh. That's the biggest problem with God. They can't laugh at themselves. I mean, it reminds me of that, you know, the Snow White story, and the old witch, you know, she was in there looking in the mirror, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of the all? If we did that, the weird crack. <laughs> you just, people are people. And, and the one, one prerequisite of helping them is loving them and not loving them and trying to use them to get some advantage in your life. Well, if God would have done that, or the people that, would have help, that helped you, if they'd have done that, where would you be today? Where would you be if the people to disciple you just did it to use you? Brought you over and discipled you in about the fourth one, and you said, uh, get along the Bible very good. Yeah, I'm really doing good. Oh, yeah, I am an insurance salesman. Uh, how's your insurance? You know, there are people that join big churches just for that purpose and that reason. You know, a wise man should do three things with what he says. One, a wise man should never teach all the Bible he knows. And that's because you can't give truth to somebody past the point and the level of where they're at. And sometimes we dump something heavy on somebody. Young Christians are famous for this. They'll come to the Bible study on Thursday night, hear something, and they'll take it out and want to show everybody what to know about the Bible, and they do more damage than they do good. You never teach all the Bible you know. You're always conscious of who's there in your crowd. The second thing, you never speak of others outside the circle of people who are committed to help them. We talk about people. If we're working together with them, we're helping them. You bring it to me, I bring it to you. We come together with a plan to help them. That's what we're supposed to do. But you don't take it outside that circle. 
You don't say, well, so-and-so did it again. Yeah, yeah, he was out drunk last night and over the place there. He must have gotten a real big fight. That's not, that's not what you do. And the third thing is, with whatever you do do, you build people up with what you say. Now, hey, I know you, we all got issues. I got issues. I know we all got weaknesses. We all do. We all do. But I'll never help you if all I ever do is focus on your weakness. I have to look beyond that, and I have to see the 95% that is good in you. And, you know, I'll never help you get past the weakness if I don't help you focus on what is good about you and then teach you in the process that you have to fix what is bad because 5% is going to ruin the other 95 But you already know that. We've got to lift each other up. We've got to push each other sometimes. We've got to be there for each other. We've got to make people better. Do what the Word of God did for you. Do that with other people. You know what the Word of God did for you? It made you better. So with the word that you speak, with what you say, with the words that come out of your mouth, don't be a fool that uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it till afterward. In other words, he assesses the situation through the principles before he ever speaks. Now, now you have the complete picture. Wise man and a foolish man, and you get, uh, you get to choose. You know, I, I could, as I thought about this, I got to give you the, I got time here, so just bear with me. I got to give you this side note here uh, to help you. How the Bible itself will reveal, just the Bible itself. It's no wonder people want to get away from the Bible and, and rid of the Bible. How the Bible itself will reveal all the heresy uh, that man uh, wants to put together to try to mess people up. You know, we talk about them all the time, and one of the more ones that you find today is what, what is commonly years ago was called Calvinism. And in the neo-evangelical movement, which is all the Baptist churches that are taking Baptists off their name and moving into that gray mush area, and all the neo-evangelical churches that uh, are already in that gray mush area, you're seeing this creep back into those churches. They've changed the name now, and they call it Reformation Theology. Basically, it's the aspect of predestination, the fact that God predestined some people to go to heaven, they would be the wise people, and some people to go to hell, they would be the fools. But you know, if you think about it, if that was true, and I know, I know if you're listening to this and you're a Calvinist, you know, you're a five-pointer, you know, and all that stuff, the very fact that you're already falling into it, it, it just reveals the depth of your stupidity. I mean, if that was really true, why would there be a need for the book of Proverbs? Why would there be a need for a book that goes into such exacting detail of how you not to get out of being a fool and becoming wise or not being a fool in the first place by getting wise if it was already prefixed that you were going to be predestined to be wise or foolish? It's a waste of paper. Why write a book that shows you how to do it and shows you how to get out of it if you were predestined to be in it in the first place? See how simple the Bible is? But when you're educated beyond your intelligence, when you lose your common sense of the Bible truth, and you 
put yourself up there as some great educated man or woman who knows everything and has been educated to the degree. You lose the simple little common truths that are found in the Bible. And I thank God that God revealed, that hid that from you. Because he says he's rejoicing in heaven because he hides little things like that from people like you. At the end of the matter, you wouldn't need to know how to be a wise or a foolish man if you were predestined one way or the other. That's why they don't win people to Christ. They don't have any revivals, soul winning revivals. They don't have any campaigns. They don't teach soul winning classes. You know why? Because they've already firmly believed in their mind that God already destined whether you're going to heaven or hell, so they're not going to change it. Well, if that's true, why even put the book of Proverbs in the Bible? If you're going to be wise and foolish, you're going to predestine that way. Nothing you can do about it. Why am I wasting my time telling you how to quit being a fool when God already said you're a fool and that's the way you're going to stay? There's no need for a book to change your thinking when your thinking has already been predestinated. I told you early on, you know, some people embrace stupidity like it was a virtue. Now, I got a question for you off the subject. What movie is that line from? What movie is that line from? I'll give it to you again. You embrace stupidity as if it was a virtue. Why is that? I get most of my sermons from movies. I want you to know that. <laughs> the guy that, without looking on your computer, the guy or the gal who, who finds that line from me gets a $25 gift certificate to the bookstore. It's your free will. You get to choose if you want to be wise or you want to be foolish. Nobody's going to make you be wise or foolish like nobody's going to make you get saved. But once you get saved, you ought to be the wise man that God wants you to be. And God gave you the book that, that, that changed everything about us that was foolish and to give us God's wisdom and understanding. But at the end of the day, you get to choose. Our job here, my job here, is to make you better. Take you where I find you. Don't expect you to be anything better than the world left you. Pick up that job. Put the people around you, myself around you, this church around you. Take the salvation that God gave you, the foundation, and then clean it off. Get your junk off of it. Get the world off of it. Get your beer off of it. Get everything off of it down to the bare rock foundation. And then we'll start to build gold, silver, precious stones. And get you to the place in time where you cease being a fool and you become the wise man of Proverbs and you get the knowledge of God and the wisdom of God and his understanding. At the end of the day, some will, some won't. Well, we'll hold up there. Now you got the balance between a fool and a wise man.